It was the biggest ship ever built in its time, and it was supposed to be unsinkable. But within days of steaming out on its first voyage in 1912, the Titanic was gone beneath the relentless waves of the North Atlantic Ocean. And of its more than 2,200 passengers and crew, only 706 survived that dreadful night. Would a smaller ship have fared any better in the same situation? Did the size of the iceberg truly matter in the end? Was it a mistake for the ship to change course at the last minute as it tried to avoid impact? These are three questions that have people pondering, what if? We do know that Titanic was considered an engineering marvel in its day. Designed by Thomas Andrews for the British shipping company White Star Line, it was just over 880 feet long and 175 feet tall. Built with abundant space for 840 staterooms, a swimming pool, a squash court, a gym, and two dining rooms. But it was below deck that one of its most impressive new features could be found. Titanic's hull was divided into 16 compartments designed to be watertight. Up to four of these compartments could take on water in the event of a breach, with the remaining 12 helping to keep the damaged ship afloat. It was thanks to these compartments that the ship was regarded as unsinkable. Rumor has it that Philip Frank, White Star Line's vice president, even declared, There is no danger that Titanic will sink. The boat is unsinkable, and nothing but inconvenience will be suffered by the passengers. On April 14, 1912, that proved to be mistaken when Titanic struck an iceberg. As ice ripped along the ship's hull, several of those watertight compartments ruptured. It took only two and a half hours for Titanic to sink. Did the size of the iceberg that hit Titanic seal its fate? Would a bigger or smaller iceberg have made any difference? Icebergs come in a wide variety of shapes and sizes. They are pieces of ice that have broken away from glaciers or ice shelves in the Arctic and Antarctic, and are now wandering across the ocean until they eventually melt. One of the tallest icebergs ever found would have easily dwarfed Titanic. Discovered in 1957, it was 550 feet high. That's close to the height of the Washington Monument. Imagine ramming into something that big. Smaller icebergs, though, can turn out just as dangerous. Some are the size of houses and called bergibits. Others, closer to the size of a car, are called growlers. These can be much harder for ships and boats to locate, making them more difficult to avoid. And, though smaller, they can produce a lot of damage when hit. It's also critical to recall that icebergs are always bigger than they seem, with the majority of their mass lurking below the ocean surface. In fact, over 80% of an iceberg's volume is underwater. Most of its sharp, jagged edges cannot be seen. Roam too close, and you risk damaging your ship's hull. Because Titanic had little notice of its impending doom, a smaller iceberg struck at the same angle could still have been enough to bring that mighty ship down. Now, it's possible that had the iceberg been larger, it would have been spotted sooner. Titanic might have had time to alter course and avoid the impact. But missing that one iceberg would not have guaranteed Titanic's safety. It was traveling in a dangerous stretch of the Atlantic called Iceberg Alley. 
It's located 250 miles east and southeast of Newfoundland, Canada. Behind one iceberg, there could be another. And another after that. And so the crew on board had to remain very attentive to avoid several potential collisions, not just one. A smaller ship might have been better suited for the trip. Titanic's size was certainly a challenge when it came to steering. In fact, it had just left her dock in Southampton when it nearly collided with another smaller ocean liner, the SS New York, missing it by just two feet. The gigantic steamship was obviously not made for maneuvering quickly in tight quarters. A ship that size required time and space to change course. But when it comes to ships versus icebergs, a ship's size doesn't always matter. The Islander was a steamship designed to travel the inside passage in Alaska. In the summer of 1901, it struck an iceberg, which tore a hole in the front portion or bow of the ship. The vessel did not sink right away, and the crew tried to steer it to safety. Ultimately, its bow completely submerged, and its stern was lifted up and out of the water. It didn't take much longer before the ship sank completely. Of the 168 passengers and crew members, 128 survived, and $3 million in gold was lost. Islander had a 240-foot hull, making it almost a quarter of the size of Titanic. And that smaller size didn't seem to be much help in preventing a collision with an iceberg. And then there was the Hans Hedtoff in 1959. Also known as the Little Titanic or the Danish Titanic, it was referred to as the safest ship afloat. It was 272 feet long, with 95 people on board. Much like the real Titanic, the Hans Hedtoff was specifically engineered to handle most of what the sea could throw its way. Along with its double steel bottom, it also had an armored bow and seven watertight compartments. How could such a ship sink? But it could, and it did. It was on its first voyage, returning to Copenhagen, when it ran into trouble. On January 30th, it hit an iceberg. An SOS was sent, but when the Johannes Kruss arrived to help, the Hans Hedtoff was nowhere to be found. The only evidence of the ship's existence was a lifebelt that was washed ashore in Iceland nine months later. Again, the ship's smaller size didn't work in its favor. A smaller size of Titanic wouldn't have guaranteed a safe voyage in 1912. The final what-if concerns the last-minute choice when the iceberg was spotted and the alarm sounded. First, Titanic could attempt a complete stop. But this wasn't an option, as the ship needed a half a mile to come to a halt, and the iceberg was a mere 900 feet away. Second, the Titanic could attempt to avoid the iceberg by steering away from it. This is what the captain ordered, but the attempt was unsuccessful, resulting in a deep gash across the ship's hull. The final option? To hit the iceberg head-on. Would this have made any difference? The answer is an intriguing maybe. Some think a head-on collision would have saved Titanic. In this scenario, the collision would have limited the damage to the very front of the ship. Instead of the iceberg tearing through the hull and compromising several of the watertight compartments, only four of the compartments would have been breached. This meant the others could do their job of keeping Titanic afloat. The ship could be stuck, unable to move, but it would remain above water until help arrived. 
This would provide a ship like Carpathia enough time to reach the scene of the accident and bring the people on board to safety. One of the Titanic's designers, Edward Wilding, made a similar claim during an inquiry into the sinking. He argued that most people would have survived a head-on crash, and that Titanic itself would not have sunk. Others disagree, though. First, the special bulkheads on Titanic were designed specifically to protect the ship against collisions with other vessels, not with icebergs. These compartments would crumple upon impact, absorbing some of the force while the other ship absorbed the rest. Though the damage would still be extensive, the remaining bulkheads would keep the ship afloat. But an iceberg does not have the same flex in a collision as you would experience with another ship. Most of the force would be absorbed by Titanic, resulting in greater damage to the ship. Even worse, the impact would be carried through the full length of the ship. Rivets would burst, seams would tear, the compartments would quickly flood, and the ship would sink even faster, resulting in fewer survivors. In any case, as with most what-ifs, we'll never really know the answer. As tragic as Titanic's first and last voyage was, it did result in changes that helped make venturing out to sea much safer. Findings from hearings on the disaster led to the creation of the International Ice Patrol, or ICC, in 1914, an organization that tracks icebergs in the Atlantic and Arctic Oceans to ensure vessels in the area can avoid them. In the US and Britain, ships were obligated to carry enough lifeboats to accommodate every person aboard. Regular lifeboat drills were made mandatory. And finally, the bulkheads on ships were made higher to keep water out, and bottoms were stretched to create double hulls, helping make the compartments truly waterproof. There's no denying that Titanic was a terrible tragedy. But the lessons learned from that night to remember has helped prevent many more. Over a century ago, the Titanic struck an iceberg and sank to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. Of the 2,240 people on board, only around 700 survived. Since then, the tragedy has been the subject of endless movies, documentaries, and books. And though we've learned a lot about the ship and many of the people on board, we hardly know anything about the iceberg responsible for the catastrophe, especially anything concerning its size. But maybe we can find some clues. The Titanic was constructed by the White Star Line as part of its new fleet of passenger liners. At the time, it was the largest ship ever built, and it lived up to its name. The ship was 883 feet long, equal to two and a half soccer fields placed end to end, and 175 feet tall, which is close to 10 giraffes standing on top of one another. From the waterline to the deck alone, the boat was 60 feet high. That's close to the height of a four-story building. The Titanic was big enough to have veranda cafes, a restaurant, a reading and writing room, a Turkish bath, a gym, and squash courts. There was even space for a swimming pool. The liner could carry a total of 3,300 people, including 2,435 passengers and 900 crew members. Although luxury was important, safety was paramount. The Titanic had been designed to have 16 watertight compartments below its deck. If the ship's hull was somehow compromised in an accident, up to four of these compartments could take on the water, while the remaining 12 would keep the ship afloat. Philip Franklin, vice president of the White Star Line, said this was what made the ship truly remarkable. 
It's believed that the man said, There is no danger the Titanic will sink. The boat is unsinkable, and nothing but inconvenience will be suffered by the passengers. He was so very wrong. The ship left England for its first and last voyage on April 10, 1912. And all it took was a single iceberg to bring that mighty vessel down. Icebergs are fascinating. They are formed during a process called calving, when large chunks of freshwater ice break free from glaciers and float away into open water. They eventually melt away and disappear. In the Northern Hemisphere, the majority of these icebergs come from Greenland. In the South, they come from Antarctica. What you see on top of the water is only a small portion of an iceberg. This is just the tip. Most of it, up to 90%, is hidden under the water. Only when you examine pictures of the entire thing can you truly appreciate how massive icebergs are. It's the part of the iceberg you can't see that is often the most dangerous. Beneath the waves, it can have jagged edges in random places. A ship can easily get too close without realizing it, resulting in serious damage to the bottom of the boat. And it's not just big icebergs you have to watch out for. Smaller ones, which are more difficult to spot, can prove to be just as dangerous. A growler, for example, is under 7 feet long, with just a bit more than 3 feet showing above the water. And a slightly larger bergy bit is less than 15 feet in size. The dangers of icebergs were well known when the Titanic set sail. In 1901, the Islander was traveling through the inside passage to Alaska. It collided with an iceberg and sank immediately. Luckily, 138 of the 178 people on board made it to safety. Back then, there wasn't any special equipment for detecting icebergs. The best tool was your eyes. From a special vantage point above the ship called the crow's nest, two members of the crew had to stare out over the ocean and watch for potential hazards. The crow's nest was located at the front of the ship, 49 feet above the deck. It was attached to the mast. From this height, a person had a good view of the ocean. If they saw anything suspicious, they could ring a large bell to sound the alarm. After that, they could call from a special telephone to warn the captain of any danger. But imagine what a horrible job this would have been, especially on the night the Titanic sank. The crow's nest wasn't a warm and cozy room surrounded by windows. Instead, it was a large open tub exposed to the elements. On April 14, 1912, the air temperature was around 39 degrees Fahrenheit, which is close to freezing. With the ship moving at about 23 knots, more than 26 miles per hour, the sailors must have felt that frigid cold air pressing against any exposed skin. The only good thing about the job was that the shift only lasted two hours. Frederick Fleet was the sailor who actually spotted the iceberg that sank the Titanic. He was up in the crow's nest, working with Reginald Lee at the time. Fleet kept track of the left side of the ship, while Lee scanned the right. It was 10 p.m. when the two men started their shift. They had already been warned about the possibility of ice. But when you're cold and it's dark, it might feel like an impossible task. Even worse, the two men didn't even have binoculars to make the job any easier. Fleet would later insist that having binoculars would have prevented the tragedy. With about 20 minutes remaining on the job, the sailors noticed the iceberg. Fleet rang the bell, once, twice, and again. He then called up to the bridge to inform the crew. At first, 
The call seemed to come in the nick of time. The ship's engines reversed, and the massive ocean liner managed to turn. It wasn't enough to miss the iceberg, though. Ice showered down onto the ship's deck. The iceberg tore through the hull, and water flooded in. Two hours and 40 minutes later, the Titanic was gone. And here we have clue number one. The iceberg was big enough to be spotted with the unaided eye in the dark of the night without any binoculars. It was also tall enough for bits of ice to fall down onto the ship's deck. Since this all took place long before social media and smartphones, nobody on board would have been taking photos or videos at the time. So, of course, we don't have any footage of the actual iceberg. But there are photos of the possible iceberg from later that day. The SS Prinz Adelbert was sailing near the area on the morning of April 15, 1912. The steward on the ship had not yet heard about what had happened to the Titanic. But when he spotted an iceberg floating by, he was compelled to photograph it. Why? There was a line of red paint along the bottom of the iceberg, indicating that it had likely collided with a ship sometime within the previous 12 hours. A second photo was taken from a ship called the Minia, which was sent into the area to look for debris from the collision. Captain de Carteret said that among the wreckage, he had seen only one iceberg. He also noticed a streak of red paint on it. From the photos and witness accounts, newspaper reports estimated the iceberg to be 50 to 100 feet high and 200 to 400 feet long. That's clue number two. The iceberg that hit the Titanic probably started its ocean journey from Greenland's coast, heading past the Baffin Bay to the Davis Strait. From here, it must have slipped through the Labrador Sea and finally reached the Atlantic. And that, in itself, is pretty impressive. The glaciers in Greenland create between 15,000 to 30,000 icebergs each year. Some small, some big. Of these, a mere 1% will actually make it to the Atlantic. The others simply melt along the way. We know that the temperature of the Atlantic Ocean, where the sinking took place, was around 28 degrees Fahrenheit. That's below freezing. For humans, this could cause frostbite or hypothermia. But that temperature is actually warm for an iceberg. Most would only last two to three years in the North Atlantic, slowly melting into the warmer water. Based on this, it's likely that the Titanic's iceberg left Greenland in 1910 or 1911 and was fully melted by late 1912 or 1913. But since it did make it to the Atlantic and managed to cause significant damage to the ship, we have clue number three. We will never know for certain the size of the iceberg from that day, but we do know that it definitely wasn't a growler or a bergy bit. Both those types of icebergs are much too small. And if the ice was indeed scattered across the deck during the collision, the iceberg must have been a little taller than 60 feet. The newspaper estimates are probably as close as we're going to get. The iceberg that took down the Titanic was indeed a formidable one. And icebergs are still a threat. As recently as 2007, the cruise ship Explorer struck one and sank in Antarctica's Weddell Sea. Luckily, everybody survived. The International Ice Patrol was created in 1914 following the Titanic's sinking. The organization is still in operation today, made up of representatives from several countries. Using airplanes and radar, the patrol locates and tracks larger icebergs, making the information available to anyone who needs it 
and preventing more ocean tragedies in the process.